we started Christianity 101, we asked the question, what is a Christian? And we looked at different terms in the Bible that describe what a Christian is. We asked the question, how does one become a Christian? And there are certain things that a person needs to understand. They need to recognize that we're all sinners, that sin separates us from God, and that Jesus died for us, and that salvation is a free gift when we trust Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for our sins. There's a lot of ways you can talk about that, but those are the basics. And then we talked about how you can grow. How do you grow as a Christian? What, what, what do we need to do to grow, to keep on growing as a follower of Christ? Um, so today we're going to talk about what is a Christian's new identity in Christ. And just simply, um, back in the day, when I was 25 years old, I placed my faith in Christ. I've told my story. A lot of you are just bored to death with my story. But I was an atheist before that, very self-centered, very destructive in my marriage. And there's a lot of things about me that uh, that was the old me. Then on September 29th of 1974, I placed my faith in Jesus Christ and it changed me. I w- my sins were forgiven. I was given eternal life. I became a new person. I had a new capacity, a new nature to please God. That has changed everything. No, I wasn't perfect. Ask Sue about it. She'll tell you whatever you want to know. But I was on a new path that that helped me. Now, today what we're going to talk about is um, what that new path or new identity is all about. Identity theft is one of the fastest growing crimes in the U.S. How many here have ever... um, had your, some part of your identity taken illegally. Okay, few people, thank you. In 2010, um, 7% of American households experienced identity theft of some kind or another, 8.6 million households. 64% of those individuals experienced identity theft in the form of misuse of their credit cards. In 2012, 12 million incidents have been reported of identity theft already. It's growing. 7% of all smartphone users have experienced identity theft. Um, I've noticed that Sue raised her hand just um, a little over a week ago. I picked Sue up at the airport, and we stopped for something to eat on the way home, and Sue accidentally left her phone on the table in the restaurant. About 15 minutes later, we realized it after we had left the restaurant, and we called and asked, uh, do you have a phone on such and such table? No, they didn't have such a such phone. And we turned around, went right back to the restaurant, went all through the restaurant looking for the phone, and it was gone. We left our name. We left an address. We left a telephone number to contact us, and uh, we have not heard a thing. On the way home, about 15 minutes later, we called Verizon and said, please... Uh, cut off our phone, and please delete everything on the phone. Now, to this date, we don't know that anything has illegally been taken from our identity, but we know the phone was taken. Um, Identity theft occurs when credit card numbers, bank account numbers, and Social Security numbers and names are retrieved from job applications. By the way, there's a lot of applications that we fill out we we think are safe. Job applications... um, online purchases, as well as in-store purchases and ATM machines. Now, you're probably well aware 
of how that, that, that stuff is happening all the time. One of the amazing things, you get junk in your email. I'm, it's just funny, all the stuff that comes in your email account that's spam or something, and they misspell words, and they, they are silly stuff, and they try to act like they're somebody else. And it's just real obvious. But you know what? 14% of people respond to junk mail. How do they get scammed? I mean, it's silly how, they, how it happens. They, they go back, they, they, they click on a link, and then pretty soon they're giving out information uh, to somebody who's just waiting for them. Christians face a different kind of identity theft. Christians face a thief, sometimes called the evil one, who seeks to steal and deceive and confuse you about your own identity in Christ. And here's my question. Do you know who you are in Christ? If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, do you know what that entails? Do you know what your identity is in Christ? Um, When you think about it, Christians... Now, I'm going to change course here just a second. Christians are by definition... Um, people who have someone else's identity. Now think about this. I have an identity now that I was not born with. I did not earn it or achieve it. I did not get it from my parents or my grandparents. I have an identity that's now found in Jesus Christ. In actuality... It's really an identity gift. Think about that as opposed to a theft. Because of your identity in Christ, you have, so to speak, access to a bank account in heaven that you can withdraw from at any time for anything you need. I didn't say want. You can withdraw any time what you need. Okay? Today, we're going to talk about this new identity in Christ so that you will not be deceived or confused ever about who you are. So you have an extended outline. Please uh, take that out of your program. It's a little bit longer than a little bit different than usual. And this is because I want you to have that to take home. And some of you are going to appreciate it and you're going to look at it later and you're going to be able to study it. Okay. so uh, there's a reason I gave you such a long outline. You just get to see more like what my sermon's like up here instead of, but I want you to be able to take it home with you. Um, First of all, on your outline, our position in Christ is characterized by the following. It's characterized by the following. And uh, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 to guide us um, through this section right here. Let's see Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. If that's not on there, okay. Let's open our Bibles. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and uh, some of you can quote this, but here's what the scripture says. For as by grace you have been saved through faith, and this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So let's break it down. It's by grace that you've been saved. Grace is God's unmerited favor. It's, it's something you don't earn or you don't deserve. This whole salvation, this identity that we have that's in Christ is by grace. 
And uh, you have, it's by grace you have been what? Saved. This is something that's already happened if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. This describes who you are. And it's about being saved from the penalty of sin. Remember, the wages of sin is death. And this is, that's the penalty, and you, for by grace you have been saved. Uh, this grace that you've already ex, uh, accessed is, is through faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It is not from yourselves. It's not your ability. It's not your good looks. It's not your effort. Um, This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Please know your salvation, your new identity in Christ is a gift of God. It's yours. It belongs to you. It's attached to you. It goes with who you are. It is your new identity. You know what? It's also eternal Now, we're going to walk down through this. So I've made some observations about this text and about other other texts in the New Testament. So stay with me. I'm going to be just a little bit more theological this morning. This is not the way we teach every Sunday. But this is going to be very significant for you when you see the picture. First of all, our position is not based on feelings or experience. Our position, if you are a child, if you are a follower of Christ, it's not based on your feelings or your experience. When has truth ever been decided by your feelings? This is about truth. God's truth, okay? It's not based on your experience. I placed my faith in Jesus Christ a long time ago, and my life was changed. And it happened really slowly in some ways and really fast in other ways. But on the inside, it wasn't like, oh, now I get it. Now I'm, you know, life is great. No, it wasn't that way. It was just very quiet and calm and slow and just like me, careful and, but very real. I didn't have a big wow experience. Doesn't make any difference if I had a great big experience. Some of you have. Some of you haven't. It's okay. It doesn't change the truth. That's what we're talking about here. It's not based on feelings or experience. Next, our position is not progressive. It does not improve or get better because it was perfect when given. Think about this. Your identity in Christ doesn't get better. You have it all now. It was perfect when it was given to you. Guess what? My salvation is not better than yours. My spiritual foundation is no different. It was perfect when given. And it's not going to get better and it's not going to get worse. That's pretty cool. It's not based on, am I having a bad day? Is, is think, are things getting a little wobbly here because I'm having a bad day? Because I have great disappointment or because all my circumstances are caving in around me? Doesn't change. Thirdly, uh, our position was not merited because there is no goodness or achievement in us that caused God to give us his gifts to us. You know, I've kind of said this already, but we just need to hear it. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. I never will deserve it. Never. So many Christians 
get this gift, and then they try to earn it, sort of like, I'm going to pay God back now. I'm going to try to be good and pay God back. Can't do that. You'll never be good enough. Just face it. It's grace. It's a gift. Now, one of the things you're going to find is the more you know about this, the more you understand about it, the more you appreciate it, the humbler you are before God, what you want to do is just say, thank you, God. And you'll grow in your appreciation of him. Okay? Um, So it's not about what you achieve or do. It's not about your parents or your grandparents. It's not about the denomination. It's not about whether you were baptized or whether you take communion. It has nothing to do with that. Okay? Fourthly, our position is eternal. It lasts just as long as the merits of Christ. Death on the cross. How long will Jesus' death last? How long will the benefits, the merit of his death last? How long will Jesus last? How long will his promises last? If he says you have eternal life, how long does that last? And uh, it's going to have a pretty big impact on this whole concept of eternal security. I'm very glad to talk about that in the days ahead, but I won't talk any more about it today. Our position is based, next, this is E on your outline. Our position is based on God's revelation, not on anyone's wishful thinking. It's based on God's revelation. God said it. He, God spoke. It's God's word, God's promises. And it's going to outlast you and me. It's going to be forever. It was here long before you and I were born, and it's going to be here long after we live on this earth. God's promises are forever his word is eternal and these this new identity is based on his word by his authority f our position in christ is accomplished by god alone not by our achievement it's another way of saying what we've already said it's accomplished by god remember it's a gift it's a work of god now what i'm going to say about your identity now everything that follows is based on those True core truths. It's eternal. It's not based on how I feel. It's not based on my performance. It's based on what God has done for me. It's done. Okay? So here we go. This is second on your outline. Our position in Christ places us in God's forever family. You already knew that, but let's break it down and see why. A, we've, we've been given a new nature. A nature is a capacity. I have a new nature, a new capacity. I used to have, a, I have an old nature too. I, that's all I had before I came to faith in Christ. This old nature was the capacity for me to be selfish and self-centered and self-focused and just wanting to be all about me. And then I received a new nature, which was a new capacity. I, and now I had a capacity to please God. Didn't mean I would, it just means I have to now have the capacity. Second Peter chapter one, verse four. Through these, he that is God has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, there it is, and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Another way to describe it is is when I was born again, I got a new spiritual nature, new capacity to please God. Didn't have it before. And let's look at John chapter 3 and see how much this makes sense. 
John chapter 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, wanted to know about the kingdom of heaven. He said, and Jesus, in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. This is where this whole word got invented, this concept of being born again. It wasn't invented in New Age movement or anything else. It was in Jesus. Unless he is born again. He can't see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. I, lo- I love Nicodemus. He's an older guy like me. Nic- Jesus is in his 30s. And how can a man be born when he's old? He's real practical, you know, just literal. Nicodemus asked, surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. You know, just imagine the picture there. A guy trying to get back to his mother and, you know, because that's got to be born again. Verse 5, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. That's not baptism. That's how some people have taken this. Born of water. It's not baptism. There's nowhere in the Bible that says get baptized and then get saved. There's nowhere it says that. There's no instructions anywhere about getting baptized first and getting saved later. Um, so you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born of the water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. I think that might be a, a human birth, a f- birth of the flesh. F- flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. By the way, any of you women ever had a baby? What does it mean to be born of water? What happens in a, a pregnancy when it's time to deliver? That's what it means to be born of water. And um, it's, a, it's a natural human birth, and we all came that way. But we don't get to heaven that way. We've got we to gotta ha- receive a spiritual birth. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised by my saying you must be born again. That's how you get the new nature, okay? That's how we get spiritually connected to God. Connection between, it's a vertical, between God and me, God and you, spiritual. It's like putting you in a whole new realm of communication. Uh, Titus, uh, next on your outline, we've been given a spiritual birth, Titus 3, 4, and 5. This is very similar to what I just talked about. It's just another aspect, Titus 3, 4, and 5. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, first coming, Advent 1.0, as opposed to Advent 2.0, first coming, he saved us, not because of righteous things we've done. Do you get the theme here? It's not about us. But because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth. That's not baptism, folks. There's a few people who read that in. That's not what he's talking about. The washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. We've been cleansed and born again by the Holy Spirit and renewed by the Holy Spirit. It's regeneration. It's another way to talk about being born again. I, it, it, water doesn't wash away sin. It's only the Holy Spirit who can cleanse us from the penalty of sin. Um, Next, we've been made children of God. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. We've been made children of God. How great is the love of the Father who's lavished on us that we should be called children of God. You are a child of God if you are a follower of Christ. There's a distinction. People who are not followers of Christ are not children of God. 
This is a family concept about being in God's forever family. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. It's about being in a relationship with Jesus Christ and knowing him. We've been made children of God. Okay, I'm a child of God. You're a child of God. What does that make us? Okay, we're brothers and sisters. Hey, I'm your brother. Treat me like a brother. Um, We are brothers and sisters. We're, We're in the same family. God is our father in a very unique sense. This is not true for every person in the world. God is not their father until they're born in with his nature, born into the family with his nature, born again, like a, a new capacity. Uh, D on your outline is we've, we've been adopted by God as sons and daughters. Adopted. That was easy for me to understand when I became a follower of Christ because guess what? I was adopted. I grew up in, in my neighborhood when people... Uh, talked about their mom and dad, I would just say, I'm adopted. And like everybody goes, well, what's that? Is that some kind of illness? <laughs> and no, it means I'm special. It means they chose me. They wanted me. They just had to take you, but they wanted me. <laughs> and I got that, you know. Growing up, I got it. So when I understood that I was adopted by God, I, I got it. Let's look at uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. By the way, that applies to you. If we were to just count one of the truths that's true about you, if we went through the New Testament, there's at least 33 things that describe your salvation, your new identity in Christ. This is one of them right here. I don't know what that means, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. It's just big. But you have it. I have it. We're the same. Okay, next slide. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. That's what God wants from you and me. He wants us to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, because he loves you so much, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in, a, in accordance with his pleasure and will. He adopted us as sons. You don't like to be called sons? This is not a sexist term. Sonship was a position in the family that, that received all the rights and privileges of the father. And this applies to men and women, boys and girls who are followers of Christ. It's just a position of inheritance, and we all get the same. We all get the same. You know, it's not like, well, the males get this, and the oldest son gets this, and if you're a woman, you get this. It's, it's all this. That's what... Being adopted as a son means. E on your outline is we've been given the father's inheritance. Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. We have an inheritance that's coming. Giving thanks to the father who has qualified you. You have been qualified because of your faith in Jesus Christ. You've been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. The inheritance it's something we get because Jesus died. And, and we're going to get it in heaven. There's going to be a lot of privileges and benefits that go with the inheritance given in heaven. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. That's another thing that's true. You have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and you don't belong there. 
Now, the sad thing is, is when a follower of Christ starts dabbling back with the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption. There's another one. You have been redeemed. We have redemption. Redemption is about the price paid. To be redeemed, it's about the price paid. Jesus' life was given for you. His life was paid on your behalf. That's redemption. Um, Your sin penalty was paid. For the wages of sin is death. You had a penalty coming. His death took your sin on him, and he took it for you. So you don't have to pay it. And the forgiveness of sins. That's going to be a standalone one. I'm going to wait until we get to the forgiveness of sins. Uh, This is about giving the Father's inheritance. Uh, Next and last point on number two is we are now members of God's household. Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. This is about the church. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens but fellow citizens with God's people. And what that means about foreigners and aliens, in the Old Testament, the Bible focused on the Jewish people, the nation Israel, and they received the promises of God, and they were chosen people. And they they received blessings and not everybody else. So if you were a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, you, you sort of had to hang out with them to get under that relationship with God. You had to learn from them that they had God's word. But when Jesus came, he took away a distinction between the Jewish person and the Gentile person. No, and because and Gentiles were considered for, foreigners and aliens. But now fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, you're in God's family. Another way to say it is the church built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Okay, so... That's what it means to be in God's forever family, just a little bit, just a little foretaste right there. Number three on your outline, and this will be our last point. I could have made this over twice as long, and my wife talked me into breaking this into two sermons. Our position in Christ changes our past, present, and future. Our position in Christ changes our past, our present, and our future. A, on your outline, we've been forgiven by God. And uh, this, when you take notes here, it's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. It's not Ephesians chapter 2. I made that mistake. We have been forgiven by God. In him, we have redemption. I already talked about the price paid through his blood. The coupon code for your salvation is, is the actual blood of Jesus Christ. That's what, in him we have redemption. How do you get redeemed? You've got to believe what God said about his son. The forgiveness of sins. You have the forgiveness of sins because Jesus paid your price, redemption. You are forgiven of your sin penalty. You are released from eternal death. Um, God no longer holds you accountable for your own sin. Now, we're going to talk about this in the future. Yes, it makes a difference on how I live as a follower of Christ. But when God looks at your total life, it's covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. The price has been paid for, and your sins are forgiven, and it is a eternal 
okay? And we're going to talk about, about living as a follower of Christ in the future. Um, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Remember, it was a gift that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He knew what he was doing, okay? We said, well, it's not fair. I've got to be good and earn my way. And no, understand, this is God's plan. Um, when God looks at your account, and he knows your failures, what he sees is paid in full by Jesus Christ. The righteousness that Jesus had is placed on your account before God. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, when you were dead in your sins, there was nothing we could do, and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, meaning there was a barrier, it's that there was a spiritual foreskin between you and God that had to be removed. That's what spiritual circumcision is. God made you alive with Christ. I believe that's what it means to be born again, rebirth, new nature. God made you alive with Christ, and he forgave us all our sins, all of our sins. Which ones didn't he forgive of yours? And sometimes we start thinking about our past. We, well, God couldn't forgive that. Yes, he could. There's nothing he cannot forgive. And he has forgiven. If you've placed your faith in Christ, he has forgiven. Now, I need to keep short accounts with God as I walk with God. I ask him to forgive me on a daily basis whenever I sin. And he just cleans me up and I stay in relationship. But it's a parent-child relationship. He's my father and I'm a son. And he's my dad. And, I, and I, how I live makes a difference to my dad. But he doesn't throw me out of the family because I failed. I still sin. He doesn't throw me out. But it does make a difference. He cares about how I live. We're going to talk more about that. Um, we have been declared righteous before God. Romans 5, 1 and 2. We've been declared righteous. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, and there it is, justified means God, the righteous judge, has justified us. What that means is he has now legally, in the courts of heaven, declared us to be righteous. Not because I'm righteous, but because Jesus is righteous. And he said, you get what Jesus has. That's my new identity, declared righteous through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't used to have peace. I used to be at enmity with God. My sin caused great uh, discord in my, in, with God and me. And then Jesus took away that discord and brought harmony. And now I have peace with God. I don't have to fight God. He's on my team. I'm actually on his team because he's the leader. And through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace, which we now stand. This is what this is all about. We have this new access into this grace thing called eternal salvation. And it's how we stand right now. This is my position in Christ. It's, this, this is how God sees me. It's not about how I feel. It's not about my performance. Did I have a good day or a bad day? Did I say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing? This is my standing before God. And we rejoice in the hope of glory of God. Remember last week I talked about one of the terms used for Christian is saint. Are you a saint? And we talked about how actually it's a term for all believers. It isn't just a, a few that get elected, uh, but it's a term for all believers. Do you primarily see yourself as a 
saint or a sinner? And a lot of us would just say, well, I feel like a sinner, you know. I just feel bad. I make so many mistakes. Well, if I begin to see myself as a failure, I begin to just lean that way. But if I see myself, I'm primarily a saint. I think I'm going to try to walk with God today. And, you know, I'm, this is important stuff. I'm a saint. I don't deserve it. I get that. But a saint is somebody set apart for God. That's where we're going. A um, couple more. See, we've been reconciled to God, 2 Corinthians five seventeen and 18, reconciled. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. I used to be the old nature. Now I have a new nature. Now I'm a new creation. God has done a makeover on my life. All this is from God. It wasn't about me or my performance who reconciled us to himself. God took that enmity I had and he reconciled even better than reconciling your bank statement and uh, reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us now the ministry of reconciliation. That's our job. We have a ministry now and it's a ministry of reconciliation. We are to help other people be reconciled to God. We are to help other people get connected with God. We are to help other people understand the good news of what Jesus did for us. He also did for them. And help them understand that if they place their faith in Jesus Christ, they too receive the same gift that we have. Okay. Um, D on your outline. We have been given access to God, which allows us the privilege of prayer. Ephesians 2.18. We have been access to God. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Look at that verse carefully. The whole Trinity is mentioned. For through him, that is Jesus and his death on the cross, we have access to the Father by one spirit, the Holy Spirit. Access to the Father because of Jesus. Access to the Father. You don't get access to the Father apart from your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the only way anyone comes to the Father is through the Son, Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, because we have access, we can pray. We are connected eternally with the Father. We have a spiritual connection, and now we have access. Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because we have access, we can go to God in prayer confidently. You know, sometimes we don't feel worthy. I'm not good enough to talk to God. You're not, neither am I. You know, but we have this access. It's because of the gift given to us. God just wants us to live by faith and step into it. Take this gift and operate within it so that we may receive mercy and find grace. I need mercy, I think, every day. I need grace about 24-7. And God wants to help us in our time of need. I think he could open his uh, heavenly bank account and hand out needs, things that you need every day, things that you need. And he wants you. He doesn't want... Wants you to work as hard as you can until you can't do it anymore and then ask for help. He just wants to help you every day, all day, with your needs. 
lastly, we've been sanctified or set apart for God. And this says Romans 6, 11 on your outline. It's actually 1 Corinthians 6, 11. We've been sanctified. It's one of those spiritual words, one of those Christian words we throw around to be sanctified. Here it is. And that is what some of you were. It's talking about your old life, some of the failures before you became a follower of Christ in verses 9 and 10. But you were washed, not with baptism, but you were washed by the Holy Spirit, cleansed. You were sanctified. You were justified. We've already talked about that. Declared righteous in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. You were sanctified. That's what I want to focus on. It just means set apart. Sanctified is one of those real high-powered words, and it means set apart for God. Another way to say it is you were made holy. That sounds super spiritual, doesn't it? It just means you were set apart for God. You're dedicated to God. You're His. You've been cleaned up. You were washed. Now you're set apart for Him. Every time in the Bible something is set apart, sanctified, it has one purpose, to serve God. God. No other purpose. You were sanctified to serve God. Here's a question I have for you. Why did God sanctify you? What does he want you to do to serve him? You were set apart. Not set apart to soak. You know, sit back and take it all in. You were set apart to serve Let's go back to, um, and we're going to end with this, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Remember, we started with this, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It's grace. Not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. We got that. Not by works. I, I get that. So that no one could boast. Here's what I want you to see, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship. Remember, he did the work. Created in Christ. Given a new nature. Born again. Created in Christ Jesus, what? Purpose to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You were created in Christ to do good works. What is it? I want you to, I'd like you to ask God for yourself. You can do it anytime you want. What does God want you to do? Some of you might be pretty clear on what God wants, what steps he wants you to do. He wants you to serve him. He has prepared in advance Things that he wants you to do if you just walk with him. That's why he set you apart. To do good works, which we prepared in advance for us to do. Let's stand and pray. Father, uh, we just want to thank you for the gift of eternal salvation. The new identity we have in Christ. Father, may we grow in appreciation of your gift. And may we just learn to respond back with gratitude and say thank you, God, and to be humble before you and to learn to love you back. As we experience your love for us, may it not be just head knowledge. May it touch our hearts. May we be grateful and live our lives in response to your gift. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen.